Welcome to System and Soul, the podcast focused on the human energy that runs your business. I'm Chris White, along with my co-host, Benj Miller. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Jake, drop that beat. Three, two, one. System and Soul. This is Benj Miller, your host and co-host today. And I am on with our guest, John Robertson. John is an expert at taking crisis and controversy and turning it into an opportunity for your organization. So of course, I love the sound of that. And in this conversation, we get into the three things that are on his mind, moving leadership and culture out of a programmatic system. The second one is how we think about expenses versus investment, especially as it comes to the internal systems, working processes, culture, and people, all of that stuff that we tend to uh, put on the back burner because there's always the tyranny of the urgent. And the third one is uh, really interesting. Love spending time here. And it, it was a conversation around lifting our head um, up into the vision, but being able to connect that back to what we're doing now so that people don't get lost in a, in a fluffy kind of uh, just uh, squishy vision, but it's something that they can really see how the efforts of today put you on the track toward that vision. So here we go. Hope you enjoy John Robertson. John is with us today. John Robertson is an expert at transforming crisis into an opportunity to thrive both as an organization and as an individual. John, so fun to have you on today. Thanks for hanging out with us. And as always, we're starting with one crazy random fact about you. Okay. Far away. It is, I sucked my thumb till I was 17. Oh, wow. Okay. We need more about that. <laughs> Well, there's, you know, I can get into the psychology behind it and all the justification, but at the end of the day, I became a master of hiding, concealing, even reading a book at my desk at school. I would lift the half the book up and hide behind it and yeah, suck my thumb and I can still tell you when and where I quit. It was in a place of Northern Ontario and it was called the junior forest ranger program but anyways northern ontario summer i was 17 and i went up there and i thought okay this is the season that i'm done and so when somebody talked to me about bullying and uh, the experts in the stands telling somebody what they should be doing i can kind of write the book because when you suck your thumb till you're 17 there's one or two bullying experiences. Yeah. So that's 17 years and a hundred percent of your life at that point. How, yeah. how did you quit? I think it became one of those ESPN TSN turning points where, okay, enough is enough time to put on the big boy pants and just enough. Sheer, and sheer willpower. Well, and it was also the value statement of, okay, you know what? If I'm going to go forward, here's a perfect opportunity where nobody knows me. Mm. Got it. Fresh start. Don't, me Fresh don't start. mess it up. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah. 
So John, tell, tell us for a minute, get, let the audience get to know you. Although that is a very vulnerable way to start. Tell us how you got to where you are today doing what you do. And then we'll dive in with the top three things that are on your mind. So I actually started as a pastor, minister, clergy, not priest as in Roman Catholic, but, and arrived in a really problem church and there was a whole bunch of conflict, a whole bunch of dynamics, and I didn't handle it as a mature professional, but I got the problem addressed. And by then, and as a newlywed, that is not a recommended tactic of way to start because what have I signed up for? I can't do this. And then we moved to a new community and we had a horrible motor vehicle collision with a bunch of fatals and the chief of staff at the hospital was a friend of ours. And he called to say, I need some help with the nurses and hospital staff. I need you to come and help them. And I said, PJ, what what do you want me to do? Like, what should I say? And I don't know if you've ever lived in a small town, but when we live, when we're in a small town, there's usually three to four families that steer the ship. Yeah. And PJ's family was one of them. And so it was, his response was, John, it's 20 minutes from your house to the hospital. That gives you 19 to figure that out. Hmm. Click. Yeah. And I'm either driving to the hospital to help or I'm packing to move because it was one of those small town families. You say yes and help or you're done. Or like there's nowhere left to go after that. It went really, really well. But after that, I realized I really enjoy this. I'm not great at talking about the weather and fluff. I like dealing with real values, real things that matter. And I love encouraging people. And it's not about fixing or diagnosing or telling people what's wrong with them, which in some ways is the sucking thumb analogy because I could talk about all this psycho babble that was you know, if John doesn't quit, he's going to be made fun of. Well, you don't think that's happening now. And so my work got rooted in that. Stop fixing, diagnosing, start growing and developing the leadership that people trust and want to follow, building a culture that people, where people want to work. For sure. But then train people how to thrive in a way that's not psychological, but it's actually practical and applicable. All right. I'm sure we're going to dive into a few of these things and your top three things on your mind. But before we do, I want to, I've got a burning question for you. How do you, how do you get people past the weather? You show up in an organization, you're, you know, you're there to deal with crisis or conflict, but that's probably the last thing that the person in the room actually wants to deal with. So how, how do you break down those walls? What are some of your tricks? First of all, why is a key is a phenomenal question, but we have to use it appropriately. Why going backwards is a punitive question. So for example, if you're my boss, if you're the on-scene supervisor and I say, Mr. Miller, can you tell me why you did that? That's a punitive question. 99.9% of us have no clue why we do half the stuff we do. On the other hand, if I say, Mr. Miller, can you tell me why that matters for you? Why is that important for you? That's a values-based question. 
So dealing with conflict, why do you want to address this? Or what's wrong with what is? Mm. And what usually comes out will be the, well, I'd like to be able to go into work without feeling like I need to wear Kevlar or keep my back to a wall, wondering who's going to knife me or shoot me next. And, and getting, lifting the rock, it's called, but lifting the rocks to say, so what does a healthy workplace mean for you? If you ever want to have a phenomenal discussion with somebody, ask them. Yeah. So how in a non-clinical way and not a Google definition way, how do you define a healthy, thriving workplace? Teach it as if it's going to a grade five. And and what happens is, and I I have the gift of irritation because I love <laughs> asking those kinds of questions, but it's and then let them stew. Don't help them. Don't rescue them. Right. And for anybody listening to this, please ask the question, but then be quiet. They are going to feel really awkward, really uncomfortable, and most of us try and help them by offering ideas. Don't. So how do you define mental health? What does that mean? How do you define a thriving, engaged workforce? That's so good. So two things pop out. One, no one's ever called me Mr. Miller before. Uh, and <laughs> here's the other thing. I, I feel like we could like just we just could close the podcast right now. I'm not going to, but I feel like we could. This idea that when we ask why looking backwards is always punitive, that that is a very um, fundamentally strong principle right there. So top three things that are on your mind today, John, what are you thinking about uh, in your head, what are you processing on that other people probably could use that conversation as well? Well, the one is how do we move uh, those areas? So the leadership, the culture, and the personnel, how do we move those discussions out of what I call the classroom programmatic model? Secondly is Adding value does not always directly equate to costing. So if you picture a continuum, there is the serve or service or help, which quite often gets translated as free. Right through to the other end of the continuum, which is whatever, 400,000 an hour, but there's still no ROI. So, both for my own work and service, how do I blend balance that when, when it's free, free, what's the cliche? Free is always more expensive. <laughs> right. Right. And on the other hand, just because the price is high doesn't mean it's valuable. And, and so John, in my case, John, having that discussion of what's the sweet spot where, yeah, you know what? You are going to have to roll up your sleeves and invest, pay some money. But it's not tied to, and I'm using a absurd amount on purpose, but it's not tied to the $4,000 an hour. I know I originally said four hundred, but I was trying to think about because- who gets paid $400,000 an hour. I couldn't quite get there. <laughs> No, and and so what's happening is 
when we are talking about evaluating something, how does one evaluate the ROI? And there's only two ways, expense or investment. And so the price point on that continuum, how do we move culture, leadership, and individual personnel out of some programmatic theoretical model? And then the third piece is how to get people to lift their heads, to look at where they're walking going without the lecturing or without feeling like you're trying to sell something. I'm trying to sell something. I know the buzzword right now is called thought leadership, but it has come to mean a hundred different things to a hundred different people. My definition is how can I encourage people to lift their heads so that I'm able to say, by the way, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed here, but you told me you're headed that way, but I don't see how you're going to get there by going in that direction. Yeah. All right, let's dig in. Moving leadership, uh, culture, people out of the classroom. What does that mean to you? What does that look like? What are you thinking about? When I don't know what it's been like in your journey, but I have seen the number of people that I have seen take programs and just keep buying the next widget model, program, speaker, course, book, but if we look at the change growth that has happened in two to five years, it's not a lot of visible change or growth. And so, for example, in North American school system, majority of them have up to grade 12. So at the end of that thinking, or sorry, at the end of grade 12, the thinking can quite frequently be you're educated. No, you're not. You're informed. You're indoctrinated. We have a son who did university in engineering. So we're not talking arts or drama or English or any of those other courses, great courses, but we're talking engineering. He was the only one in his class who knew how to use power tools. So how do we move it out of the classroom? How do we make the discussion around those things such that, okay, yes, I got that piece of information. Now let me go practice it and then I'll come back for the next piece. So you'd love uh, the school that my boys go to. They go two days a week. As part of their initial tuition, they had to buy a thousand dollar set of power tools. Uh, for the, for the school, everything's like period specific. They have to build it. They make their own lunch based on the period that they're learning about in school. Uh, and they build some really cool stuff, like eight foot catapults and stuff like that. It's really fun. Um, I saw a, So is that one of those schools that dad wishes he could go to with? Oh, them? yeah. And we get to every once in a while. But more, more like I wish I got to spend my middle school years in a school like that. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. I saw a, a meme yesterday. I actually sent it to my wife because she homeschools the kids on the other days. And it, it, you know, said it showed the teacher saying, hey, this paper needs to be at least five pages. And then it showed the CEO next to it says, you have seven words to get my attention or I'm out of here. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. we could not be teaching. And, and that's exactly you're bang on, on the, the whole discussion of moving these things out of 
the programmatic model, which is I sit you on your bum for X amount of hours a day and you're educated. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I won't go, well, I shouldn't say won't rarely, rarely, rarely will I go speak somewhere. Mm -hmm. But if you ask me to do a workshop, I am in like, if we can do something that's an exercise that has the ability to be transformation, not information, I'm in. Absolutely. So I'm with you on that for sure. And, and so you and I would use the, the way that I illustrate that the cliche is transfer of information seldom results in transformation. You are the wordsmith, my man. Well, and, and the book that I wrote around resilience, thriving through crisis and change is built on that premise. What am I so willing to be faithful to, loyal to, that and passionate about that even when I get a wall up, I'll find a way to get back in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a great visual, and I can't give credit to who it's due, but it's it's memory. And we remember, don't quote me on this, please. So anybody listening, please don't think this is factually true, <laughs> but it's the memory thing. And basically, I can't remember what I read, which is <laughs> illustrating 20 to 30% of what we've read, we remember. We remember 50% of what we say, but we remember 90% of what we say and perform a related task. Yeah. Or teach. I've, I've heard teach be in that category. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and there's a whole pyramid, uh, triangle thing built out of the model, but, but the premise behind it is so applicable. If I want to be a leader that people can trust and follow, even when they don't like me, that they can trust and follow me. And by the way, that applies as a dad and a husband as well, or a parent. And, and if I want to be an individual who knows how to thrive or culture, then we have to practice things so people can learn it. And, you know, even at times be able to say, well, that was a great learning because it did not go according to plan. Mm. So give me the, like the practicality of this. What does this look like when an organization does it well and they use this, you know, experiential act activated learning to move leadership and culture? So for example, I'm going to give you another question, the listeners, another question that I use when it comes to leadership. How do you want people to describe you in a non-physical way? And, and we are dying for leadership that people can trust, that I know the buzzword right now is authenticity. But at the end of the day, if I don't know who I am, how am I going to be authentic and, and so in applicable ways, start with that inside out job. How do I want people to describe me non-physically? How do they? And then of course, obviously the third question is what am I going to do about the gap? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, oh. and, and same questions in the culture. What does it mean for a culture where people want to work? What does that mean for us? Yeah. And, and I got to be honest with you. I love what Jim Collins wrote in good to great. And he said, great organizations are not good places for everyone to work. We either fit 
and flourish or we get expunged like a virus. Yeah. And, and the stronger the culture, the quicker that expulsion happens. And, and so when I've been working with leaders around interviewing process, we include some of those questions to say, so tie back to what you and I were just chatting about. What would success mean for you? Why does that matter for you? What does a thriving, what does a great leader mean for you? What does a thriving culture mean for you? Why does that matter for you in the interview process? Yeah, that's good. I like that. Too often we start with what our culture is and do you fit instead of asking yeah. them like, Hey, what is, what is your ideal? What is, what, you know, we all want a good culture, but what does that mean to you? Because it's, there is no universal definition there. Hey everybody, Benj Miller here, and I just launched something I'm really excited about. It's called The 261. As leaders, we have 261, maybe more things bouncing around in our head, things we've learned, things we know we're supposed to do, things we're trying to remember to be the intentional leaders that we wanna be. We put them on a calendar, mapped them out. There's 261 business work days in the year, and so we're gonna send you an email every day with one micro thought, micro action to keep moving the ball forward in your personal life as a leader and for the sake of your business. So will you join us? Go to the261.com and just sign up. Give us your email. It's free. You can unsubscribe if you hate it, but I think you'll enjoy the clarity that comes from just one thing a day to pay attention to, question to ask, a thought, an action, an exercise, just one simple thing a day. Here we go. See you soon. All right. Number two, let's, let's move this to number two, the, the investment versus expense balance and how we evaluate that. I like how you pulled that out there. You are a wordsmith. What, what is the, what is the real opportunity for businesses to figure out? Uh, the simplest way to, and I am not a financial person. I married it. We have money in the bank because she does her books. When I was one, <laughs> I was the one that I was really glad when they got rid of red ink on the printers and they just put a little flat line <laughs> minus sign in front of the bank balance. When my wife took over the books, we're back in business. And, and so the exact same thing, do not ever focus on the dollar value. Focus on in two steps, whether that be one year, two years, five years, it doesn't matter. But in two steps down the road, if I spend this money on this, what can I expect to see in practice down the road? Not expense is based around what will I get if I take this and do this? Investment is what will it look like down the road? Yeah, so help me because there's still a dollar I get what you're saying, but there's still a dollar. We call them bets. We're, we're always making bets and it, whether it's an expense yeah, sure. or an investment, yeah. we're making bets as leaders. So, but there's always a cost. There's actual, there's always an actual dollar value on both ends, the now and the, what yeah. does it look like in two or three years? So that once you clarify the two to three years versus what this program will get me, then you look at the dollar value and the, investment approach is based on looking at, okay, what cost will this save me? So for example, in a thriving culture, in a culture where people want to work, if I spend time 
building the values, developing the values, clarifying the focus. In North America, we call it an end zone, clarifying the end zone of where we're trying to go, then what will that save me? So for example, the current buzz expression right now is called the great resignation. I don't believe it's a great resignation. I believe that what crisis does as some of the storms that we're, we've been through and are going through, reveal values and some of the values that people were chasing pre-storm don't matter now and without getting personal i'm not asking you to respond but i can make an informed guesstimate for you and your wife about why your kids are taking the schooling they are and why there is homeschooling why does that matter for sure you versus the expense approach sure and and so what will those investment ethos mindset save me so turnover resignations sick leave stress leave look at the conflict i mean just players workplace colleagues players who don't play well together children in the sandbox who throw sand costs everybody money this is all like i feel like this whole um, I'll call it an issue for lack of a better word, probably an opportunity is, is, uh, our inability. It's the tension between the urgent and the important. Like we're so focused Absolutely. to use your football analogy. Like we're so focused on there's 24 seconds left on the play clock. We've got to run a play right now, or we're going to get the crap beat out of us that we don't look at our roster. We don't look at, our mascot. We don't set a game plan. We don't even know our next three or four play, you know, all the things that are important. It's like, we're about to yep. get our heads beat in if we don't take this next snap. And, and to that, your comment, that's why I start with leaders and we clarify what does focus mean for you? Not just vision and mission, but what's focus mm -hmm. mean? What can you rally people around? Yeah. And then values. Why does that matter? How can we evaluate that? And to your comment, uh, there's a book and I again, I can't give credit where it's due. It was done by a reporter, but it's called the captain captain's class. I don't recommend reading the whole book. It's 300 pages, but there is numerous PDF summaries. And in it, the premise that he ended up discovering is we are choosing the wrong captains. And so think in this, uh, in the context of leadership, it hit, he went in to say, how do these teams build the winning? So the Bo Sox, uh, Boston Red Sox, and a bunch of other teams. And what he discovered without exception was it wasn't the celebrity players. It wasn't the great uh, superstars. It was the person who got on the ice, got on the field, and raised the bar of everybody around them. Mm. Challenged the status quo, for lack of better words. Yeah. And... And in the captain's class and in that context, he says, we're picking the wrong captains. They're not the people that have the biggest credentials, the, the highest scores. They're the ones who know how to rock the boat when it needs to get rocked. And one of the things that is exactly what you just described, he said, the right captains and the right coaches, many times on the fourth down and short in football, 
they will they will fear the critics who say, well, why did they go for it? Right. And as a result, they either kick it away or turn the ball over. And in the captain's class, he talks about that premise to say, that's actually the most defining moment of a leader yeah. to go for yeah. it and silence the critics. Or, And that's that investment expense discussion. Well, expense is focused on reputation. I'll take, I'll take your analogy one step further. Statistically, you should go for it on fourth down, no matter what, every single time, because you get 24, 25% more plays in a game by going out, uh, you know, you're increasing your odds by 25% every time you do that. And statistically, they've proven that there's no reason you should punt the ball, but Again, there's a lot of people that are going to be up in your grill when, <laughs> when that goes wrong. Hey, podcast listeners, System and Soul Coach Phil Mazur here. Today, I have a coach's tip for you about the organizational chart. Forget what you've always known about an organizational chart. Stop thinking about it as a list of names and job titles. Now, imagine it as the most powerful tool in your business. If you don't believe me, think about it this way. What we're trying to do here is get your business flowing in the right direction. Every position working toward that ultimate vision. That visionary's job is your long-term vision. You have a KPI that measures the success of that vision. What if every job on the org chart had a mission and a KPI to measure its success? That's all you have to do. All you have to do is outline a mission for each job that is in alignment with the position that it reports to. Then you find a KPI to measure it. So my challenge to you is to take the next 90 days and hash out this tool for your company. It's not easy, but here's a hack for you. Delegate it to your team. Have them come up with it for their own job. They can create their own mission and KPI for their position. It's a great conversation starter for that one-on-one -on -one meeting you've been meeting to have with them. Good luck. All right. Last yeah, one, absolutely. lift your head to see the vision. I love this. I was just, uh, I was literally just on a phone call and I hadn't heard this, but it was a Gary V expression of, of being able to, uh, see the clouds and the dirt, right? Like some, <laughs> you know, some people are great at one or the other. Very few people are really great at both, but, that, that expression came to mind when you said that. So lift your head to see the vision. And I, I didn't write it down, but you said something in there that, that you caught me with, and I can't remember what it was. So maybe just start over on that one. Basically helping people to clarify their focus, their vision, where they're going, and to be able to ensure that others can see it. So for example, where I get caught is I understand where you think you're going. That thought leadership versus progressive and forward thinking and any leader that is not going forward yeah. is, is not leading. Yeah. So it's, it's your, your point is it's the ability to not just have the vision, but to connect the dots along the way to help people see the path. Absolutely. And more importantly, I would say if the vision cannot be connected to the path, it's not a vision worth having. Because I, <clears throat> that doesn't mean I have to understand the whole vision. If you're the boss, the quarterback, if you're the boss, I don't need to know what your whole focus is. Yeah. But I do need to know what my role is to help your focus 
become the new norm. So I just heard Sam Parr say the other day, he said his, his view on this was A, B, Z. So Z, Z being the destination, like what we're trying to ultimately accomplish. And then you have to know A and B, where are we right now? And where's the next step that we need to get to? You don't necessarily have to know CDEF, all that, but we've got to know where we're trying to get to, where we are, and what the next step is. Is that similar or is that different? Very, very. And depending on who the people are around you, the if you want me to go back to football, the 11 other players on the field, they have to be able to see it in a way that they can relate to. So, for example... One player might need the A, A minus, B plus, B, B minus. Another might need the A, C, G. And another one might need the A, G, M. That focus, that vision has to be in chewable sizes for every person to share ownership. It's the only way to get everybody going in the same direction. So that that feels really daunting to me. Uh, it is, uh, because especially in a, uh, fast, some, some companies, I totally get that. Some, most of the organizations that I work with are super fast paced, which means mm -hmm. they may not know what their business or industry or market or competition looks like in a year. So to, to pretend that they can plan out G M N P, yep. uh, becomes a thought exercise that becomes mostly wasted. They're better off going really, really hard at that next phase and reevaluating when they get there. And because I worked with several high tech companies, it was a fascinating discussion that you just brought back to mind. Does the vision follow money? Cause that was the discussion around VC funding. Do we go where the money is now? And so uh, going back to Jim Collins, he talks about good to great, but he also talked about built to last. Yeah. And we're seeing some of that pruning process over these last few years that, and, and so the focus is not, and I, let me back up. It's not on the leader to make it A, B, C, D. It's on the leader to motivate to encourage to establish in the leaders around him or her where they're going and it becomes so for example if you get somebody helping on the startup they may not be able to stay with the business once it gets up and running right and it's you know we all need the innovators the developers the systematizers and managers and so the leaders have to teach that focus to the next ring of leaders around them so that they remind people of where they're going. It's not just on the leader yeah. to do. So I have my, I have my 20 second reaction to this, but I want you to answer the question that you posed. Do you think you follow the money? The vision, follow Me, the money. No. What do you follow then? No, I follow the focus. So therefore I, and the ones that I work with is about choosing the right personnel and employees and leaders, but as importantly, choosing the right clients. So for me, it was just a couple weeks ago, I fired a client because it became a place of, I felt more like I was pushing ropes than we were going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know what? 
I, I love you guys. I wish you the best. I know that you believe strongly in what you're doing, but I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say the focus, what, give me some examples of what that could mean. So do you want to build a leader that uh, build a culture that if the leader needs to pivot and change directions, people will still follow. Do you want to build an organization that's not babysitting, telling the Johns and Joannes in your company, oh, you're a wonderful person, you can be anything, or are they in the boat rowing saying, now this is exciting? So everybody's going to say yes to that. Tie, tie sure that are. back to focus for me. It's, so do you, that sounds like not focusing on a focus. That sounds like focusing on the, the, the Sorry, platform. My, my misinterpretation because what if a person is not clear on the focus they will not row they'll tend to drift yeah because they're not motivated sure on the other hand if the focus has been really clear and whatever person is able to see how they add value to that focus and they choose not to row now you've got an engagement issue or you've got the wrong employee. Yeah. When, when you first said, you know, does the conversation about the this vision follow the money? I was like, man, okay. So what, what should it follow? And my, this is my 22nd answer, right? Like asterisks, give me Go permission to change my mind. But I, I almost think it's, it goes to the problem that you're trying to solve as an organization for the market that you serve. 100%. Yep. Because that, if, if you're very clear on the problem and the market you're trying to serve, then you can pivot. And it does give you energy to row because you're rowing against that problem as defined at that current moment in the current market. You know, all those those things that can change, but your, your rowing seems clear. Does that feel close or right or possible? I, 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 no, you're, you're, you're bang on. And that's why sometimes when we get into vision and mission, discussions they become more clouds yeah. than sand yeah yes yeah and that's why i use the term focus because and actually when i talk about focus i call it defining the refinable new norm because defining a new norm can become static it's once done it's defined well that's never true or not in anything that's growing yeah if it's a refinable new norm, as I grow towards it, or as we move towards it, it becomes a little clearer. So going back to your example, as I start to move towards the problem that I am going to solve in the, the culture, in the workplace, in whatever, the marketplace, I realize, well, there's, a, it's not quite that big. There's a little piece in that problem yeah. that I love solving. Yeah refinable new norm. Yeah. Nice. Let's, let's wrap on that. John, where can people find more about John Robertson and the work that you do? It's really simple. It's fortlog.co. It's fort. You got to have a safe place in the frontier. You got to know where you're going. And a log is a journal to help others sail the sea. Cause there's no point going there alone. Co because co I work with people, collaborate, coach, colleague, and for this context, the easiest way is 
fortlog.co forward slash system and soul, one word. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you for that. Thanks for your time today. Uh, enjoyed our conversation. Uh, system and soul. We'll see you next week. It has been my pleasure, Mr. Miller. Thank you very much.